Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel 28? The desperation of disobedience. Whoops. Well, there, in my defense, there are no there are no vowels in the Hebrew language. So I, I have the A in there mistakenly. You think I'm missing an I, but I added an A, so. <laughs> those, I'm gonna have to clean those keys. I, man, I get, it starts smoking. I'm going so fast on that keyboard. David becomes Akish's bodyguard. David's sojourn is, has really been weird in, in the land that is not Israel. And it continues to be that way. And it was in those days that the Philistines gathered their camps together for warfare, to make war upon Israel. <clears throat> now the thought was probably Saul had spent his time, he had divided attention and he was focused on too many things and he was especially enamored with uh, finding David. David has left Israel with his warriors and so with Saul's mindset, with Saul's diminished army and with the loss of David to help in war, obviously the Philistines think that it's a good time to go after Israel. Achish said to David, you shall know that, and really it could be translated, you shall surely know, or you surely know that you shall go out with me in the camp, you and your men. In other words, when we go to war, David had been leading Achish on, making him think that he and his men had been raiding Israelite villages when actually they had been raiding the villages of the Philistines, the outlying villages. So Akish has become convinced that uh, David is his guy. So he brings him in. He says, you're going to go out with me, you and your men. David said to Akish, now I love this because David, David has a skill With, with making an answer to a direct question, the answer of which can go in any direction he wants it to go in. You see? He said, you're surely going to go to war with me, you and your men. And David said, you shall know what your servant will do. <laughs> I've told you about the letter of reference when someone writes for a letter of reference from someone that you really really don't want to make a reference for. You make a few general statements and you say, when you get to know Brother Bill the way that I've learned to know Brother Bill, you begin to think of him as I do. So um, you, if you're a wordsmith, you can just about make anything say anything, right? Well, this is what David did. Therefore, you're going to see what I can do. Well, that could mean I'm going to fight you along with Israel. And he said to David, therefore, I shall make you my bodyguard all the time. You know the old saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. 
So he thinks to make David his bodyguard. However, things don't always work out the way that you want to. Now, there's a little aside here so that uh, the, the readers are reminded that Samuel is dead and it, it takes us into the adventure of Saul at this point. Now, Samuel had died. We, we had that in an earlier chapter, but we have to be reminded. And all Israel lamented him and buried him in Ramah. And each one lamented him in his own city. Goes right into the, the this is, it's a segue into the main part of the story. Now Saul had abolished mediums and spiritists from the land. These were necromancers. They were people who conducted seances to contact the dead. And that was abolished. As a matter of fact, in Leviticus, that kind of thing is forbidden in the Mosaic law. It carries a death penalty. And the Philistines gathered and came and encamped in Shunim. And Saul gathered all of Israel and they encamped in Gilboa. There's about 75 miles space between them at this point. And Saul saw the camp of the Philistines and he feared and his heart trembled greatly. He was able to move on in and take a higher place and look down from a safe vantage point and see how extensive uh, the Philistine army was. And he feared his heart trembled greatly. Well, he knew there was no way that they could beat, that his, his 3,000 men could defeat these thousands of Philistines and their advanced weaponry, their, their weapons of, of steel. So he goes to Yahweh, but here's what happens. Saul inquired of Yahweh. Yahweh did not answer, neither by dreams, nor by the Urim, nor by the prophets. I mean, he tried every way he could to get an answer from Yahweh. What are we supposed to do here? This doesn't look good. Saul said to his servants, and this is where he, you know, he's been manic depressive. He's been, he's been all kind of, pro, he's had all kind of, of mental and nerve problems. And here he just falls apart. Saul said to his servants, seek for me a medium. Uh, a necromanceress, uh, a, a witch. And I shall go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said, behold, there is a medium in Endor. Now let's think about this. Uh, verse three, Saul had abolished mediums and spiritists from the land. Well, now this was just a follow-up on the Levitical code because, as I said, if you engage in any of this spiritism or witchcraft or necromancy, then you fall under the death penalty. It's a capital offense. Everybody who's involved gets killed. So let's go back to where we were here. And um, Saul now, seek for me a medium. 
He had just outlawed these people. He, he, he underscored the Mosaic law. You can't do this. That's, but that's about the way with uh, a lot of people who are in positions of leadership. They see themselves as, as above the law that they impose upon everyone else. And David himself even falls into this trap. Seek for me a medium and I shall go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said, oh, we know where there's one. <laughs> Boy, they were really obeying his law, weren't they? There's a medium in Endor. So he consults the medium. And Saul disguised himself and donned other garments. And he went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me, medium, witch, whatever, and bring up for me whom I shall tell you. The woman said to him, behold, you know what Saul has done, that he's abolished the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why do you lay a snare like this for me and for my life to cause me to die? She doesn't trust the situation. At this point, she doesn't, of course, recognize Saul. Why are you laying a trap for me uh, to die? Now Saul blasphemes by the name of Yahweh. And Saul swore to her by Yahweh, saying, as Yahweh lives, no punishment will happen to you for this thing. Now he invokes the name of Yahweh, even though the law of Yahweh forbids this kind of thing. So Saul is sinking lower and lower in his sin and desperation. The woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. So here comes a ghost. The woman saw Samuel. Now this is kind of funny to me. And she cried aloud. So <laughs> there was probably a trick to the way that she called up ghosts or whatever, but here is one. And she's not ready for that. You'd think, well, if she's going to go and call up Samuel, she'll, she'll be calm and she'll say, well, okay, you're Samuel. I got somebody here to see you. No, she is terrified. She falls to pieces. The woman said to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now something, there is some kind of intervention here. Because while she recognizes that a real spirit is coming up into her presence, she also is made to understand that the person who has himself all covered up and all disguised in the way that he has is really the king Saul who wrote the law that he's not supposed to be doing this and that she's not supposed to be doing this. The king said to her, fear not for what have you seen? And the woman said to Saul, I have seen a God ascending from the earth. And he said to her, what do you look like? What's his form? What does he look like? She said, it's an old man coming up, covered with a mantle. You know, I'm hoping, if anyone ever calls me up in a seance, I'm hoping that I come up a little younger than what I was when I, when I died, you know. Not so with Samuel, he's still an old guy. 
An old man is coming up. He's covered with a mantle. Saul knew that's him. That's Samuel. He bowed and he bowed down with his face to the ground and he prostrated himself. So here comes the final rejection of Saul and the precursor to his absolute end. Samuel said to Saul, why have you roused me to bring me up? Saul said, I'm greatly distressed. The Philistines are battling against me. Elohim has departed from me and has not answered me anymore, neither through the prophets nor through dreams. And I have called you to let me know what, what am I going to do? What shall I do? Samuel said, why do you ask me when Yahweh has departed from you and has become the supporter of your enemy? And Yahweh has done for himself as he spoke by me. Yahweh is doing what I told you he would do because you were supposed to acknowledge the real king, David. And Yahweh has torn the kingdom from your hand and has given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not listen to Yahweh's voice and you did not execute the fierceness of his wrath against Amalek. Therefore, Yahweh has done this thing to you this day. All right, so this whole thing, this whole thing comes under the sovereign rule, well, everything does always, the sovereign rule of Yahweh. All these Philistines, they're making their move. Saul is up there watching. David is over there pretend, pretending to be the bodyguard of Achish. So here's what he says. He says, Yahweh is making the arrangements to bring you down because you wouldn't step aside voluntarily. And Yahweh will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistine. You got to think about this. Saul at this point in time, Saul has had 10 years to do the right thing. 10 years, but he didn't. He kept chasing David, trying to kill him. Deliver, and will also deliver Israel at, with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That is in the state of the dead. Also Yahweh will deliver the camp of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Yahweh has anointed David as king. Yahweh has declared that David will be the king of Israel. And it's taking drastic measures for, for the will of Yahweh to be imposed upon all these people. And it's a witch who gives Saul his final meal. Saul hastened and fell his full length to the ground and he was very frightened because of Samuel's words. Furthermore, he had no strength for he had not eaten bread all that day and all that night. And the woman came to Saul, saw that he was very much terror stricken. She said to him, behold, your handmaid listened to your voice and I have put my life in my hand and obeyed your words, which you spoke to me. And now I pray you, you also listen to the voice of your handmaid and let me place before you a morsel of bread and eat. And you will have strength when you go on the way. And he refused and said, I shall not eat. And his servants and also the woman urged him. He listened to their voice 
and he arose from the ground and sat down upon the couch. And the woman had a fatted calf in the house and she hastened and slaughtered it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked from it unleavened cakes. And she set it before Saul and before his servants and they ate and they rose and went away on that night. This is, this is it for Saul. He's going to go out now and he's going to die. So there are, there are points here, the first of which is how David had a keen wit and could use misdirection and words and mind-leading techniques uh, to keep his enemies at bay when it was necessary. So David is a tricky fellow. Secondly, Yahweh has departed from Saul. He gave Saul the space of 10 years to surrender the throne to the rightful king, David. He would not do it. He rather fought against the will of Yahweh in order to maintain the power himself, trying to kill David for all of those 10 years. But the third and most interesting thing is, is the part of this narrative that has to do with the spirit of Samuel being brought up, as the Bible says. If you've studied the Bible as long as I have, you will know that there are all kinds of ideas from, from commentators and preachers and scholars and teachers and so forth about what they think happened. Because apparently some parts of the narrative with regard to the medium and the, the, the spirit of Samuel and all this seems to in some cases fly in the face of theology of some. But to me, it's a rather simple and straightforward thing. And all you do is depend on the language. You don't think of anything else but the language. It is straightforward. There is no figurative language. It doesn't say like this or like that. I mean, this woman called him a, a God, but that was the best way she knew how to describe the heaviness of the appearance of a ghost-like image that in every way looked like Samuel. Now, having said all that, let's look at a few points to, to bring this thing home into a close with regard to the appearance of Samuel. And I've written out uh, six here, and then I have a seventh that I've pulled out of a, out of a book of, of a scholar that I think uh, nails it on, on the head. He said, number one, though, the Hebrew language uh, plainly states if you test the Hebrew language against it, plainly states that she, in fact, saw Samuel. She, it doesn't say like unto Samuel or, or an appearance that was like it. She, it doesn't say that at all. It's very direct in the Hebrew text. Number two, the medium's response to seeing Samuel was genuine. She was scared to death. She was terrified. The language is very heavy and hard describing her cry of fear. Number three, 
Her strong reaction also suggests that Samuel's appearance was unexpected. So maybe this was the first time that she had ever actually done it. You know, she, she probably had somebody in a flower sack and she had some lights blinking and there's some candles blinking and all this. And she had sleight of hand and tricks that maybe she had done before. But she's about as surprised as anybody when Samuel actually appears. Number four, the speeches that are attributed to Samuel contained allusions to a prior interchange between Samuel and Saul. Allusions that would have been appropriate only for the real Samuel to have made. Samuel, number five, Samuel's role and message as a prophet, which was so uh, the, the larger part of his ministry in life, was unchanged in his encounter with Saul here. Nothing in the word of God never changes. Number six, a straightforward reading of the biblical account suggests the possibility that mediums may actually possess the capacity to contact dead people and establish lines of communication between the living and the dead. At least we know this. In the Levitical code, they are warned against it. And in, in the Mosaic law of the Levitical code, it, it doesn't seem to, uh, it doesn't seem to uh, pretend or anything like that. Uh, and I, I will say this. God is in control of all of that. It can't happen outside the purview of God, of course. And it would only happen if it ever happens. It would only happen within the will of Yahweh to express his purpose and end to whatever's happening. In this case, for example. Now, I know people are tricked. I know there are all kinds of tricks um, that people can do to make you think things and, and, and to, to trick you with uh, with, with, mind, with mind tricks and, and sleight of hand. I understand that and I know that. And apparently because of the woman's fear, she'd really never seen a real spirit before come out of the dead. Now the Lord, of course, has the key to Hades, according to the Revelation. He's the only one who can unlock it. So we have to keep that in mind when we think of, when we think of how Serious, the law of Moses is about contacting, about witchcraft and contacting mediums and all this kind of thing. But at least it is approached as though it's something that, that could be tampered with and, and, and all. And this view is, is not explicitly rejected elsewhere in Scripture. For, and as I said, the Torah prohibits necromancy. And if you read the law, it's not, it's not forbidden because it's a hoax, but it's forbidden because apparently it promotes reliance on a supernatural guidance from some source other than the Lord. Now, I'll hasten to say this. In a, in a setting where people are totally demonic, where they're totally given over to witchcraft. There are places in this world that are, that are totally possessed by Satan and his demons. 
when it comes to this, to this seance stuff, it's not so much that they would call a spirit from among the dead someone who had died, as it would be in my view, a reliance on something supernatural that is under the control in the local setting, under the control of Satan and his demons, and demons can make the appearance. Uh, there, are, there are cases in the Bible of demons making, making their appearances. So whatever it is, because it's forbidden by the law of Moses, and because it attends to darkness spiritually, it is forbidden because the one who practices it is not calling upon Yahweh. He's calling upon another spirit or other spirits. You can read about the encounters of people, missionaries especially, who have, who have been in some of the darkest places in the world and, and have experienced the darkness of Satan's and the strength of Satan's power over an entire community of people and, uh, and the things that they have witnessed. And this comes from more than just one missionary and from more than just one era of, of time. So, in the context of the story here, Saul had committed a capital offense. He has offended Yahweh directly, but Yahweh took over, this is my view, because of the language. Yahweh took over, no demon was allowed to uh, appear, no sleight of hand or hoax was allowed to be carried out. But Yahweh apparently actually allowed the spirit of Samuel to stand in the presence of Saul and deliver him the same message that he had delivered him sometime earlier, years earlier, with regard to the kingdom belonging to David and not to Saul. So when you read the commentaries and you read after scholars, you'll have all kinds of ideas and arguments about what happened there. The conclusion is that it was against Yahweh. It was dark spiritually. And it was against the word of God. And that God used that set of circumstances to underscore his will and his purpose for David because David is mentioned uh, in, this, in this broader scope. Then I have a quote here from uh, R.D. Bergen who, who has a commentary on First and Second Samuel, a great Old Testament scholar. And number seven, and all, this is a quote from his book, an alternative reading of this passage. Now you understand Bergen is, is far deeper into Hebrew than I am. I'm, I'm sort of a surface guy. This guy, he's a, a scholar in Hebrew. He's He's, he's a researcher and all these kinds of things. An alternative reading of this passage suggests that it was not the skill of the medium, but rather 
a unique act of God that brought Saul into contact with Samuel. The medium did not possess the capacity to disturb a dead saint, but God, as quote, a sign of his grace, permitted Saul to have one last encounter with the prophet who had played such a determinative role in the king's career. So I think this guy, this guy probably has his finger on the pulse of the situation maybe better than anybody. And I like what he says. And I have, I have studied the reasons why he, he reads the passage in a certain way. And well, I'll tell you, in my view, any Semitic language is rather difficult for, for a Westerner. But uh, a difficult language that has a difficult passage uh, exponentially increases the difficulty of, of trying to figure out the, the exegesis and the translation of what's going on. But this guy, after a long time of study in First and Second Samuel, came to the conclusion in his reading of the text, and I tend to agree, that, that Saul took over. And I mean, that Yahweh took over and that Saul was made to see how terribly wrong not only was he that night, but how wrong he had been in, in, in most of his reign as a king. All right, well, we're going to stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.